the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we shall come to him and make our home with him. Those who do not love me do not keep my words, and my word is not my own. It is the word of the one who sent me. I have said these things to you while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all I have said to you. Peace I bequeath to you, my own peace I give to you, a peace the world cannot give. This is my gift to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and shall return. If you love me, you would have been glad to know that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you this now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe. The Gospel of the Lord. If we are to gain fruit from reading the scriptures, then we must do so prayerfully. We must make time to do so prayerfully. We must find a quiet place in which to do so prayerfully. We must invoke the Holy Spirit. And of course, we must read the sacred scriptures with devotion and attention. In the scriptures, it is Christ himself who speaks to us. And every word that he says is of importance. And therefore, we should even pay attention to the words that he uses. For example, in today's gospel, he tells us, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He puts it in the singular, my word. No divisions, no multiplications, just my word. And the reward he promises is, and my father will love him. And we shall come to him, father and son, and we will make our home with him. 
So in keeping Christ's word undivided, whole and entire, we obtain the love of the Father himself and we obtain the communication of Father and Son inasmuch as they come to us and we in them. Or in other words, we share in the divine nature. Or what about those who do not love him? He says, those who do not love me do not keep my words. He puts it in the plural. Because the first sign of a lack of love is to nitpick, to divide, to make distinctions, to drift away bit by bit. And this, in fact, is the experience, the sad experience of our first parents in the garden. God said simply, do not touch the fruit, do not eat it. The day you eat of it, you will die. But when the tempter came, did God really say you shouldn't eat any? Sadly, Eve began to nitpick. God said we can eat of all of the trees except the one in the middle. He said that we shouldn't eat lest we die. Perhaps we will die. But God didn't say perhaps. He didn't say less. He said you shall die. You will die. And so those who do not love begin to make distinctions. They do not keep his words. Although he's spoken only one word, love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself, those who do not make distinctions and divide. And why is this? He says, because my word is not my own, it is the word of the one who sent me. The one who sent him, the Father, speaks one word. And that word is Christ Jesus, who came for the salvation of all. But our Lord doesn't just leave it there. He also tells us of the third person of the Blessed Trinity. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. Our Lord speaks of his love of the Father as him keeping all that the Father commanded him to do. His obedience to the Father is proof of his love for the Father. So the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And this love that the Father and the Son have for each other is infinite and perfect. It is itself also a person, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Breath. And this also, the Lord tells us, he will send. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. And yes, the Holy Spirit does teach us everything. The church established by Christ, founded on the apostles, spread rapidly in the first years after our Lord's ascension. It spread among the Jews. We're told that there were many converts among the priests. Even the Pharisees, there were converts. The Sadducees, the Samaritans also, and the Gentiles above all. 
And the work of St. Paul in particular was very important for the spread of the faith. He was filled with zeal for the salvation of souls. He wanted to share Christ, whom he had discovered on the road to Damascus, with everyone and anyone who would listen. And we're told that whilst the church has been built up, some people, some men came from Judea and taught the brothers, unless you have yourself circumcised in the tradition of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, these Judaizers were trying to force the church back into a Jewish mold. Demanding of Gentiles what the Jews themselves could not carry. And we're told this led to disagreement. And Paul and Barnabas, who had been selected by the Holy Spirit himself, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the task I had for them. These two had a dispute with these Judaizers, a long argument, and they would not listen to the apostle of the Gentiles, the teacher of the nations. So even in the early church, we see there were people who disagreed, not just with the elders, with the apostles themselves, and the chief, among the chief of the apostles, Paul. And because of this disagreement among the hierarchy, we're told that it was arranged for Paul and Barnabas and others of the church to go to Jerusalem to discuss the problem of the apostles and the elders. So the problem goes to Jerusalem where the head, where the center of the church was at the time. It goes, in other words, to Peter. And so they're told that they listened to what they had to say. And even among the apostles, there was a dispute. Should the Gentiles observe Jewish traditions and rites? There was a discussion. James took the position that yes, they should. Peter, remembering that he himself had received Cornelius into the church, said no. But the decision was left to Peter. And what is important is what they did to resolve the problem which had the, the capability of dividing the church. What did they do? They sent delegates with the answer and put the answer in writing as well. They said, they wrote, the apostles and elders Your brothers send greetings to the brothers of pagan birth in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. They then propose the problem. We hear that some of our members have disturbed you with their demands and unsettled your minds. They acted without any authority from us. And so, we have decided unanimously to elect delegates and to send them to you with Barnabas and Paul. And then, men we highly respect who have dedicated their lives to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they have affirmed the authority of Paul and Barnabas. They have said that the 
those who have disturbed them had no authority to do so. And they are now proposing the solution. Accordingly, we ascended you from ourselves, Judas and Silas, who will confirm by word of mouth what we have written. So they are not content with just writing, but they also have the living voice to confirm what has been written. In other words, they don't want to, the suggestion, the idea to come about, there is fraud, that Paul had forged the letter. No, this is how careful they are. What do they write? The answer, it has been decided by the Holy Spirit and by ourselves not to saddle you beyond these essentials. Who has made the decision? The Holy Spirit. And we, the apostles and elders, are the interpreters of the will of the Holy Spirit. What is required? What are these essentials? You abstain from food sacrificed to idols because of the danger of idolatry and of scandalizing the little ones. That is, even if, St. Paul himself says this, even if idols are nothing and the food sacrificed to them are nothing, yet by eating we might lead others who do not understand into eating food sacrificed to idols in the belief that there is power in that act. So to avoid scandal, that's scandal. Scandal is essentially doing something and leading an innocent person into thinking it is all right to do something but with the wrong intention. So that's the first. From meat strangled to animals so as not to scandalize the Jews and from fornication which would include adultery because fornication is least which would include adultery and all the other sins, sexual sins. Avoid these, you'll do what's right. So the apostles then have decided the Holy Spirit has decided this and we are interpreting his will. Now, in our day, we are very disturbed because the church from apostolic times has told us in no uncertain terms that anyone who is in a second marriage without the first being dissolved or declared null commits adultery. This is from the early church. In fact, it's from the mouth of our Lord himself. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Whoever divorces her husband she and marries another, she commits adultery. It's very clear. And then St. Paul tells us that when you come to the Eucharist, examine yourself. Because if you eat in a state of sin without discerning the body of the Lord, you commit a sacrilege. It was very clear. He said so also, that quote is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says it's also the letter to the Romans that we have to be careful how we eat the Eucharist, always making sure that we are not in a state of mortal sin. 
And this has been a constant teaching of the church, right up until recently. And then, as with the apostles, some men came and taught the brothers, perhaps things aren't so black and white. Let us make distinctions. Let's divide and chop and change and see how we can get past the clear mind of the Lord. And now we are in a state of confusion. We're confused. Has the church changed her teaching? We're told, no, she hasn't. She's merely changed her practice. But what is the difference between teaching and practice? Surely, we should behave as we believe. Because if we do not behave as we believe, we'll end up believing as we behave. And then we will lose our souls. So we're waiting for a clear teaching where it will be said, it has been revealed by the Holy Spirit and by our authority we declare. We want that to be affirmed again so that we will know what is required of us. Today, the 1st of May, we begin a month of devotion to our Blessed Lady. Ordinarily, it will be the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. A hundred years ago, in Fatima, an angel appeared to three children, three shepherd children, 1916. What are you doing? Pray. Pray much. For the sacred heart of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy upon you. Three times the angel appeared in 1916. On the third apparition, he brought with him the chalice and a sacred horse. The chalice was suspended in the air, the horse above it, and blood dropped from the horse into the chalice. And the angel prostrated himself, and the children followed. And he prayed, My God, I believe, I adore, I trust, and I love you. I beg pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not trust, and do not love you. And he gave the horse to the to Lucia and the chalice to the other two children, Francesco and Jacinta, received the body and blood of Jesus Christ so horribly outraged and pray for the conversion of sinners. That was a hundred years ago. And now suddenly it seems as if our Lord truly is being outraged in his most holy sacrament, which is an expression of his infinite love for us. We can express our love for him by keeping his word, by not making distinctions and divisions, but admitting clearly that we are sinners, we are not worthy, like the centurion. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. None of us is worthy. Say the word, 
and my soul will be healed. But for our souls to be healed, we need to recognize we are indeed sinners and we do need to go to confession and we do need to make a firm purpose of amendment to change our lives and to not to offend him again. So in May, the month of our Blessed Lady, we turn to her who is the Queen of Heaven and Earth and our most gentle mother. And we ask her to intercede for us and to pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.